Hi, sexy listeners. Let me tell you about Uberloop. I'm a sex therapist, and I recommend Uberlube to everyone, whether you're a man, a woman, postmenopausal, or a new mom. This is a silicone-based lubricant that is not going to mess with your natural pH. And I know because I use it myself. It's got this amazing silky feel and it blends into your skin really easily and it doesn't leave you with that tacky feeling. You know what I'm talking about. If you go to uberlube.com and use promo code Dr. Tammy, you'll get 10% off. It's D-R-T-A-M-M-Y, Dr. Tammy, and they'll ship anywhere for free in the United States. It's a beautiful glass bottle, very discreet and luxurious. Uberlube, it's the best. Today's guests are two people who I really respect and who have actually changed my life. I wouldn't be here today on this episode with you if it hadn't been for Harville Hendricks and Helen Hunt, the authors of Getting the Love You Want. This year is the 30th anniversary of the book Getting the Love You Want. And if you don't know the book, it's time that you got it. Imago therapy has been around for a while now, and actually Oprah describes her episode with Harville Hendricks as one of the top 20 episodes, one of the episodes that changed her life as well. He introduced her to Imago theory, and she says, in essence, he says, it's not a coincidence that you're attracted to your partner, that that person's there to help you do the work of recovering from your old wounds. Oprah says, that show changed me. I saw relationships not solely as the kind of romantic pursuit our society celebrates, but as a spiritual partnership that's meant to change how you see yourself and the world. Welcome to The Trouble with Sex, where we get up close and personal with leading experts to expose the naked truth about sex, love, and relationships. I'm Dr. Tammy. Before I introduce you to Harville and Helen, I want to share a little more of my personal background and connection to Imago Relationship Therapy. I met Harville Hendricks at a Getting the Love You Want workshop in the 90s, the early 1990s, when I went with my first husband because our relationship was stressed and not doing well. And there was, I think, 90 couples in that room. And Harville Hendricks held our attention for two and a half days, which for me, I have a little ADD, is not easy. Plus, I was a therapist, and I was very intolerant of any kind of workshop or anyone teaching me anything. Um, Because when you're a therapist, it's hard to learn from other therapists. And I was also at a point in my career when I was seeing couples where I thought, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I... I don't know, get divorced. Couples therapy is tough because couples come in when they feel hopeless and helpless. And I didn't really have the tools to deal with it at the time. And most likely because I was going through a lot of stuff in my marriage as well. And I was in that room with those 90 couples, that's 180 people. And Somehow I felt like my husband and I were the only people in the room with Harville and Helen, and I felt like he was talking directly to me. And suddenly I realized that it made sense, that relationships were not coincidental, that there was no accident, 
that you chose the partner you chose, that everyone in that room had a relationship with their spouse or their partner for a reason. And I realized after that weekend, first, that I wanted to be a couples therapist and I wanted to help people who were in partnerships. Two, I knew then how to do it. Like, I got it. I knew I wanted to pursue training and be an imago therapist. And number three, I also knew that I wanted to have this kind of relationship with my husband. Now, I'll talk more later about what happened with my husband at the time, but I realized in that workshop with Harville Hendricks that Imago therapy was really about choosing the person that you choose because they are destined to help you heal from your childhood wounds. That there is something about the person that you're attracted to that will enable you to grow up that they mirror back all your stuff and that there's a reason that they do that because you need to heal that stuff. And as much as they might drive you crazy, there's a reason that they drive you crazy because that's the part of you that you don't like in yourself. And in Imago therapy, there's things that you go through in dialogues to heal that, to be able to work through your conflicts so that you know what you need to change in yourself, and how you can use the relationship with your partner to help you grow. Now, that's not easy. and might, might sound easy, but it's not easy. But at least now I understood why it happened and how to make it work. Um, so I've known Harville and Helen for 25 years, and I went through my first marriage with Imago therapy. I left that workshop and I immediately signed up for training to get trained as an Imago therapist, which took a couple years and a bunch of training and a bunch of supervision. And I learned all about my family of origin and grew up with a group of therapists who taught me about myself and my issues around my father. And I realized I wanted to keep going, and I got trained to be a workshop presenter and an advanced imago therapist. I had kind of just drank the Kool-Aid. Like, I just totally loved it. And I remember during that training, after I'd been, like, crying on the floor, which, you know, therapists love this. It's not like that was torture for us. We love to talk about our childhood and all our old pain. And we sort of bonded as a group. And I remember calling my husband from my hotel room and saying, you know, this is really the kind of relationship I think we could have. Like, this would be awesome. This would be great. And I remember him saying to me, why just? Why can't you just be a dental hygienist? Like, why do we have to work this hard? Why do we always have to be working on our relationship? Can't you just come home at 4 o'clock and, like, make cookies? And I remember thinking, yeah, no, I, that's not going to work for me. I really understood the importance and depth of growing as a person in a relationship. And sort of what Oprah found by meeting Harville Hendricks, that pursuing a spiritual partnership in a relationship was really what it was at. Like you're in a relationship to help your partner grow, to be the person they're meant to be. And with my second husband, who I've been in a relationship now for 15 years, I feel like we do live this practice of Imago therapy. And with the couples that I see, I've been doing this now. I've been a therapist for 30 years, but I've been an Imago therapist for years. And I've never, ever seen a couple in my office where I thought, gee, I don't know why you're together. Like, this must be a mistake. Never, ever. That doesn't mean that everyone should stay together or that we can always work it out. But it's clear to me why people are attracted to each other and what they're trying to heal from their childhood. 
And so to interview Harville and Helen, I was an assistant at their Getting the Love You Want workshop at 1440 Multiversity in Santa Cruz, California. And now I've done a lot of Imago therapy, and I have taught my own Imago workshops for years. I wrote the book, Getting the Sex You Want, which is based on Imago therapy, but using Imago theory to talk about sex, to improve people's sexual relationship. And yeah, I haven't assisted Harville and Helen ever at their workshop. So all these years later, my husband and I were assistants at their workshop, where all these years later, we were in a room with all these couples who were coming to the workshop for the first time to experience Imago therapy all these years later. And Harville had the same energy. He and Helen had the same enthusiasm. It was still enlightening. I still learned from them. And when I asked them to be guests on my podcast, they enthusiastically agreed. One thing I learned from them that I really didn't know is how hot they were for each other when they first met. And that made me like them all the more. And I think it'll make you appreciate what it takes to make a relationship work. We'll be right back after the break. I want to invite you to our Trouble With Sex community. Go to patreon.com slash the Trouble With Sex to get exclusive access and invitation to special events, discounts, resources, and more. Join us at the Trouble With Sex community and support us at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash the Trouble With Sex. That's patreon.com slash the Trouble With Sex. I love... First of all, your passion and excitement for your work, but also for each other. And I wonder if you could share with our listeners a little bit of how you met and what it was like when you first met each other. The apocryphal story, which has a lot of truth to it, is that we were both invited to the same party that neither one of us wanted to go to. We were a single, had been uh, divorced. Uh, Helen, I think you were divorced about a year I'd been divorced about two and a half years at the time. And we met there. Actually, I was on my way out of the party when Helen approached me and we began a conversation. My first husband um, was a businessman. And when that marriage failed, my interest was psychology and religion. I was getting a master's in counseling psych. And I thought, I need to marry someone who... I have things in common with. And at this party, some women in the room where I was said, hey, Helen, go introduce yourself to Harville Hendricks next door. He teaches psychology and religion. So uh, we met and started a conversation that has been going on now for 43 years. 43 years, that's a long time. 37, actually 44 years, because it's now 38 years married. Were you attracted to each other when you first met, more than just intellectually? Was he hot? Did you think he was handsome? (laughs) (laughs) Um, My answer to that question is yes. Uh, He was very hot. Uh, He wasn't hot. (laughs) He wasn't hot as much. I'm learning something about me today. Uh, Nice. You weren't as hot um, until you started touching me. Ooh. And that and look at his face when you said that. that. <laughs> that's when he just knows what to do mm, uh, with a woman. Mm. 
Yeah. So we had an argument on our first date. Yes. And we had an argument on our second date. Second date. And we argued a great deal of our dating life, including the night before we got married. Yes. But when he looks me in the eye and gently starts touching my face and my shoulders and whatever, he, we just, our bodies always loved each other, even if our personalities didn't. Mm. Like we really polarized about a lot of things. Yeah. But our bodies were always in love with each other. I love that. And that's probably not what a lot of people know about you, that you had this physical love for each other, that attraction, the energy, the real intense sensual connection for each other. It's powerful. Well, sometimes I think that the fact that we were constantly in conflict with each other was to regulate our our sexual passion for each other. Interesting. Because those two things kind of don't go together. And uh, we fought a lot. Uh, in order to regulate, uh, in order to regulate that, because we really did fight a lot, and we've often said, "How in the world did we wind up married?" When on the night before we got married, actually, you got out of the car uh, and <laughs> walked, walked away from. Wow. Was walking we were home. close to her house and had stopped and. <laughs> I don't know what we argued about, but we were always arguing. And it was like, "Shall I go over tomorrow to the?" Uh, wedding or not. Wow. Um, and um, and we did and went on a honeymoon. We fought all during the honeymoon, but uh, uh, made love enough that we uh, had our first child uh, <laughs> who was born one year, exactly one year after the honeymoon. So, but I think we fought probably every day on the honeymoon as well and made love probably every night. And so that's been a kind of polarity that we've had for a long time. Until I think maybe 20 years ago, we finally resolved our conflict, the emotional conflict. That's a passionate relationship other. though. I mean, you guys were fighting, but you're also making love and you had this intense attraction for each other. That's an incredibly passionate relationship. Well, well, plus the other part of the passion was intellectual, that we have engaged in this intellectual conversation that gave birth to a whole a couples therapy system that could not have come into being without the conversation. Helen's been indispensable to the development of Imago and uh, and that in a very active way, not bringing something to it, but engaged in the conversation itself of um, bringing her own ideas, which were incorporated into the system, responding to my ideas, so that the passion has been uh, as intellectual as it's been emotional and sexual. So it's a pretty, I, I, th- I guess we're kind of answering the question, why did we get married? Mm-hmm. Because we were so entangled. Mm-hmm. Now in quantum field theory, there's an entanglement thing. We got so entangled, there was no way, no way out. Couldn't get out of it. And in fact, we almost got divorced about 20 years into our marriage, but we couldn't divorce. So we figured out a way to, Stay together. Uh, stay married and developed, as a result of that, we developed another level of understanding of uh, couples, the dynamics of couplehood, and also couples therapy. I think some of the things that we now do in couples therapy have been all developed as sort of reflections on and research on how we got through our own impasse. 
which is amazing. I mean, when I think about the two of you as co-founders of Imago Relationships International, which is more than just a construct of psychotherapy or couples therapy, it is a movement. It has changed the way that thousands of people think about relationships. And the way that couples connect and heal their conflict. Yeah. And it's changed the way that psychotherapy thinks about couples therapy and how to work with relationships. When I first learned about Imago therapy, it was at your workshop 25 years ago. And I remember thinking, oh, now I get it. And suddenly it made so much sense to me why people were attracted to each other and what to do about it. Um. It's exciting to be on this podcast to talk about the importance of our body connection, which we've not told other people about, uh, but it was very powerful and dynamic and strong. And what many people have said to both of us, you need to include the body in Imago mm-hmm. therapy mm-hmm. and theory, mm-hmm. and we don't. Mm-hmm. And Tammy, you have. Mm-hmm. And I think everyone that buys any Imago book by us must buy yours oh, to complete you. the theory. <laughs> oh, Because you. you've done the research. You can speak so eloquently about it. Because body was very, very important to us. Well, and also your book mirrors our book, Getting the Love You Want, is mirrored by getting the sex you want. So that you, in a sense, kind of completed that conversation. So we don't have to deal with sex because we have this great imago therapist who has made it her life work and made it visible. So thank you very much that we don't have to do that work. I'm taking in the love there (laughs) and the appreciation. Thank you. And isn't it interesting that I intuitively knew this part about you, that you you are passionate for each other and that, that it is a big core of who you are as people, and about your relationship. And I I really believe that Imago is the thing that can hold the relationship to create a more passionate love life and to create a sex life that works for people. I'm curious for the two of you, when you um, are working with couples and you feel that longing that people have for the passion that you guys have, what you do around this idea when you talk about pleasure. You have such a great sort of conceptual idea in the workshop around pleasure and that people have a right to pleasure in their, in their relationship and in their lives and how shut down they get. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like they get shut down from it because they're disconnected from each other or... Um, because they are afraid, or how do you feel about pleasure? Well, my view of pleasure is that it has been denigrated in our culture for over 2,000 years, that it began with early Greek philosophy, went through a period of what we would call asceticism, which was namely shut down the pleasures of the body, and amplify the pleasures of the mind. So that we have, I can't think of the philosopher's name who is not famous, but who was just as smart as Plato and uh, Aristotle, who focused on the mind, and the philosophers who focused on pleasure in the body did not become famous. They, they, they did survive in the, in the literature, but they were not as famous. So that split 
between the body and the mind uh, has a 2,500-year history and was transferred into Western civilization because Western civilization is built on Greek philosophy. So we adopted that asceticism, became a part of our religious ideology, our religious practice, and religious uh, doctrines, so that to have pleasure was bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But to deny yourself was good. And that's, I mean, it's that simple to d- deny yourself and you're spiritual. And if you have pleasure, then you're sinful. That you're sinful. Mm-hmm. And so it's then very hard to enjoy your body uh, at the same time knowing that the enjoyment of your body was bad. Mm-hmm. And that uh, interferes with uh, the relationship uh, to one's body and to one's sexuality. And then if you have some negative, experience with sexuality attached to a negative program about sexuality, it's very hard to engage in erotic sexuality. And and in my mind, that is the source of the rise of pornography, Mm. that pornography would have no uh, interest to anybody who felt comfortable in their sexuality and who had a culture that supported it and, uh, and had the ability to uh, sustain the natural human passions all the time. Who would want to go look at a movie? Who would want to read a book when you can engage in what is natural and normal and wonderful? Mm-hmm. So pornography, like uh, addictions, are all uh, connected to the denial of the body, which is a denial of sexuality. And then sex becomes a symptom. So we treat sexuality, the, the field of sexual therapy, in my judgment, um, sort of does not do sexuality a service by treating sexuality without treating the relationship. And that when you move into the relationship and it becomes safe so that the energies can flow, one of the primary energies is sexual. That, that energy will flow as well. Mm-hmm. But if you're not safe, then sexuality often becomes a transaction or something that we do on Sunday or we wish we did more of or and it has a problematic attached to it. So what, what we hope that we can contribute to the emergence of a positive acceptance of the body, which includes uh, the uh, permission to enjoy our sexuality. So that's sort of what I think about all <laughs> so the, that at the, intellectual level. The reduction of shame around sex. And yes. to, to take away the idea that there's a, shame is a dysfunction. Yes. And that there's something relational that we can be... We can be focusing on around our sexuality, yeah. This is part of women's empowerment. This is part of women's empowerment. Absolutely, totally agree. And it's about the rise of women's power in the world to bring this idea of um, being in their pleasure is a form of power. And that, you know, we're in this mode in our culture now that it's all about success and work. The harder we work, the more successful we'll be. And we'll just take our pleasure you know, on vacation when we binge and then we'll come back and suffer <laughs> and get back to work. And so this culture has become so competitive and sort of patriarchal and rising to the top of the pyramid and climbing over everybody else. And if you get rich enough, you can have some pleasure, but everybody else has to work. And I think as we become more empowered as um, women and we share this with our partners, mm-hmm. um, we bring that that really receptive in, empowered feminine idea of pleasure is power. Yeah. Because it's the opposite of trauma. Trauma is really rigid and pleasure is the opposite of that. It's really receptive and loving. Yes. One of the most brilliant things I've ever heard the two of you say is 
Can you ever envision a couple as president? And that has stuck with me as a paradigm that yes. I think would change the world. Yeah. Oh, and, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I don't know how long it'll take us mm-hmm. to do that. We have to have a new... Um, I, we have to have a new model of couplehood for that to work, which is based on equity rather than a vertical model. But a co-president as husband and wife, mm-hmm. I think would be absolutely revolutionary. And it would produce a new way of thinking mm-hmm. and a new set of values, mm-hmm. and it would produce a new view of children. It would produce a new view of culture itself because then the culture would be explicitly a relational culture rather than a culture of competitive individuals. Because relationship is foundational. It's like relationship is as essential as oxygen, as the air we breathe. But Western civilization has no concept that relationship is foundational. The individual is foundational. But when we move to this new understanding, which we think is showing up in quantum field theory, that we will eventually have a new view of the human story And then we'll have to embody that story in its natural form rather than its unnatural form, which we think it is now. And I can't agree more. I think that would just heal the trauma that we're in now so beautifully. And so, Helen, when are you going to run for president? (laughs) (laughs) We really are relational creatures, and uh, the people ruling our country really need to have head thinking and heart thinking. Mm. And um, that there's something dual about nature. Nature is dual. Nature mm-hmm. is dyadic. Mm-hmm. And people are, couples are dyadic. And that's a powerful idea. And I think that the, uh, um, the presaging of that, uh, in my mind, comes with the fact we have had two presidents whose wives were sort of co-equals with them, even though not co-presidents. Totally. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time in history Mm -hmm. that that has happened with Clinton and Hillary and with uh, Barack and Michelle. Michelle. Mm -hmm. So something happened there, and the culture liked it. Yeah, and it was beginning to shift things. We could feel the shift. And then you shift away from it, but that all, all that means, I think, is it was too scary, and then we shift away from it so that we can recoup and come back to it. And who knows, it may come faster than any of us can imagine. Well, let's hope that was the boomerang effect. Yes. <laughs> the, the society got so. a little scared and they're pulling back so that we can shoot into the future. Shoot us into the future. Well, I want to thank both of you so much for being here today with us and with me here on The Trouble with Sex, Harville Hendricks and Helen LaKelly Hunt, co-authors of Getting the Love You Want. Get it now in its 30th year. The new edition has so many beautiful things to say that will change the way you think about relationship. And for those of you who want to do a workshop with Harville and Helen, go to harvillandhelen.com. This episode was brought to you by Uber Lube, the luxury lubricant. To find out more, go to thetroublewithsex.com or email me at drtammy at thetroublewithsex.com. Join our mailing list Follow us on social media, sign up for our newsletter, or send me a question. The Trouble with Sex is produced by Brandy Savitt and Jane Applegate. Our audio is by Flavor Lab, New York City. This episode was recorded on location by Bethany Knoll Productions and mixed by Eric Stern. 
Music by Bruce Hirschfield.